0: This podcast is brought to you by Lacrosse All Stars. Growing the game one podcast at a time. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Outside the Eight. We are back this week with part 2 of my conversation with Trena Hill and there is a lot to uncover here. I hope you've listened to part 1. If you haven't, now is a good time to take a second, pause this episode, take a trip back to last Thursday where we dropped episode 4 and listen to Trena's Um, part one of this conversation because we really dive into her story growing up. Um, She's Native American. She grew up on on Nodaga Reservation. She faced a lot of ridicule for being a woman and playing lacrosse, um, and she's persevered through a lot. In this episode, we will be taking um, the next step, which is understanding her journey getting to college, playing at Syracuse. We talk a lot about kind of the cultural identity of being uh, Native American and uh, just kind of all the things that she has dealt with and learned and talked about. Um, And it's really interesting, especially kind of looking at it with the lens of being a lacrosse player and an athlete. And kind of the mindset you have to maintain um, when suffering through adversity, and uh, you know, kind of making your own way and your own path. So I hope you find this episode interesting, and please, please, please leave us feedback. It's so helpful to know those of you who are listening, kind of what you think about all of this. We are now five episodes in, and it has been so fun. We have a ton of really interesting conversations in the queue that I'm really excited to put out there. Um, But I want to know what you think. I want to know if you think this is good, if we should be doing something different. If, you know, there's certain people you want to hear from, let me know. You can do this by emailing me at cassie at laxallstars.com. That's C-A-S-S-I-E at laxallstars.com. I have just recently revived my Twitter at CM Brunel, C-M-B-R-U-N-E-L-L-E, so you can drop me a tweet, you can DM us on Instagram, you can comment, post, repost, like, all those things. It's super helpful. We really want to kind of know what people are talking about, hear what you have to think about, especially this podcast, which I'm, you know, really passionate about, so... Thank you again, and here is my part two of the conversation with Trena Hill. Enjoy. So let's talk about um, your experience at Syracuse. Uh Um, What? So you decided to pl- go to college very close to where you grew up. Uh-huh. Um, were you looking to get away at all at that point or were you kind of like, I'm going to stick it out here? No, because I, I had, I had like unwavering
1: love for Syracuse on right. its own, like yeah. without any of those things affecting that. So I had wanted to go to Syracuse since I was a little kid watching the Powells and, you know, watching all of the success and just, mm-hmm. I mean, we don't have a pro team in Syracuse so everyone grows up wanting to play there and wanting to go there for school and like that is our pro team right and so um it's a a big deal for people to go there from who are from there and um so I I I knew it It was I mean it was my first choice since I was like second grade or whatever so um when I was being recruited by Lisa Miller before she went to Harvard um that was really like a big that was a big thing and um I think that was in ninth grade mm-hmm. and so that was um a big deal for like my parents and me, yeah. and we were really excited to um for it to kind of become like feel real and like a reality that I was like going to play in college and that like it was going to work out and like I was going to see the next phase yeah of this so that was exciting um I liked the thought of being close to my family so that they could see my games, even if it was only, right, like my grandparents and my (laughs) parents that were going to come. But um, definitely a big deal. And for the community as well. I was local. Um, People knew this story kind of who grew up around me and things and that they knew what was happening. So for them to be able to see me, right, like making it was was a big deal to be able to me on the local large stage and Syracuse was rising as a team um those were like the climbing years of like becoming good and then when Lisa Miller left and Gary Gate came in that was like another big deal for the sport for like this celeb yeah to be coaching okay. locally and so that increased I think the interest too of like people wanting to go there and so that happened maybe the year or two years before I got there I think so he had been there for a little bit um a year or two before I was a freshman and then um yeah it meant a lot to me to be able to stay home and they had a good native student population there so I it was important to me to go to school with other native people whereas if I went to I don't know Northwestern or UMass or some of the Cornell like the other places I was looking at then um I likely you wouldn't have, have been, right, I would have, and I wouldn't have been, I've been home, and I wanted to keep going to Longhouse, and like, my culture was close to me, and you know, it's not like, um, a white person going to a new school in a new city and being able to find a church, yeah, a new church to go to, right, like, we as Native people don't have that, like, which is typically why we don't move, we, we're kind of, um, gridlocked a little bit to where our culture physically lives, yeah, and so um, that was a big deal to me too, to be able to stay.
0: So what was Uh, it like being a part of that program as it was kind of rising into being a powerhouse? It was fun. (laughs) Um, it was fun. I
1: definitely like hardest I've ever worked probably. And which was nice and was nice to be kind of on the other end of like receiving positive attention Mm -hmm. for playing lacrosse again and like being part of a good program like that and during that time too where we were becoming good and we were kind of gaining um attraction and like it became like a top 10 school and then like a top four school and then we kind of rode that for a while was um a good timing I think for me and um I was in I think my class was the first class that Gary recruited on his own because he had inherited, mm. like, the recruits from right. Lisa before she left, right, people who already had been committed. So by the time my year came, I was his first incoming class that he picked. So that was cool to be, like, part of that, like, that inaugural type yeah. of season. Um, and that was really nice. And then, um, it w- I mean, it was fun. Like, there was no one from my... Community that came, but by then, in by the time I went to college, I had already played in a World Cup with other Native people. So like my my female Native lacrosse network and sisters, right? Like mm-hmm. they always came, and they were really excited that like you know one of us or a co- you know a handful of us like we're going on to play at the D one level. Yeah, and I think another person went to Limestone, which was a big deal because it's far. And um, Native students in general, like, the trending, like, the Native representation in higher education is less than 0.1%. So that is a big deal when someone, like, goes and, like, graduates and everything. But it's also a contributing factor that they typically stay um, near where nations are, where they can, like, easily... Be there with another native community yeah and they're not like isolated and things because, as you know, too, there's not really a lot of native services in part of the you know schools or institutions, um, mm-hmm. like multicultural office or diversity things. Like, even within that people of color community, like natives are still very the, underrepresented, yeah. still like the less than 0.1 percent. So, it's still a grind, even though you're you know seemingly in a good place. But that was important to me to be able to, um, be representative at Syracuse. Awesome. Definitely contributing to my decision a lot.
0: Yeah. And then you just finished up your master's mm-hmm. at Syracuse um, for higher education. Mm-hmm. Is that part of why? Like, because you want to keep, like, mm-hmm. kind of tell me more about yeah. how you... Yeah.
1: Worked. So I, um, I had really great times in college and then, I, like, really bad, right? Like, everyone else. And um, definitely didn't connect with my team all the time in ways, I mean, it was nice to be um, on campus with other Native students and in classes with other Native students, but they still weren't lacrosse players, and then if I was with lacrosse players, Mm -hmm. I was still the only Native person, so I was, again, like, in that conflicted space, right, always in between, and so um, didn't always connect with my teammates, didn't always... um, I don't know I don't want to say like outcasted myself but like sometimes I just wanted to be with other Native people yeah and and so I wasn't always like in the in in crowd and then um, yeah I I kind of floated I kind of like did my own thing a lot um, in college again like on a social scene level yeah definitely but um, I mean that's not to say that I didn't make great relationships and have a great time and like loved every team I was a part of in college and each one was different and like Awesome, but um definitely connected more and like felt more part of the team across different years mm-hmm. and things and um other times I felt really disconnected. Um and I think that and like the coaching staff like didn't always do a great job of incorporating everyone's kind of identities that kinda yeah. I think they kind of assumed. I that, think
0: that's easily gets lost.
1: Yes, very much so. And you're kind of like Uh, like one-dimensional like you're just you know you're just a lacrosse player and like not all these other things are going on and like um your representation on campus and in the classroom you know is different from me you know to even yours like so um I think that really promoted me without me even knowing it that you know preparing me for a a career in higher ed to be able to um help student-athletes kind of navigate those experiences and navigate all of their identities at once, like what's intersecting in different spaces mm-hmm. and how to create space for like all of your intersecting identities and how does that relate to like your teammates and how does that relate to what happens on the field, what happens at practice, your relationship with your coaches, mm-hmm. like your your grades, like things that are happening with your professors, maybe they're not, you know, aligning with you on some kind of, so like taking that route of like conflict management and being able to manage that um, throughout college is I think something that needs to be highlighted more especially for students of color
0: I think the identity piece when it comes to being an athlete in college and then trying to like you go like coming out of high school you go in you know and you're like oh I'm going to play lacrosse or I'm going to play this, this sport and it, mm-hmm. then it completely encompasses you and right. it becomes who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt that way. I, I played two years and then I, I didn't play my other two years and I feel like I had two completely different identities mm-hmm. in those time frames. Yeah. Um, and I know, you know, I have friends that played all four years and, and you come out and you're kind of like, uh, I'm not just this, I have other right interests and I have other parts of me right. that I haven't even explored, mm-hmm. which can be really great. And like, you know, post-college, like you're kind of trying to figure this, out but um can also be really scary yeah too definitely and you probably have a very interesting perspective just with all the intersections of life that you've Mm -hmm. dealt with up Mm -hmm. to that point (laughs) um that for you to be able to hopefully help others kind of explore that earlier right um like someone like Cass who's halfway you know you're going into senior year yeah so Who's you, about
1: to experience the identity crisis
0: exactly, of um, yeah, right <laughs> leaving after. your college career. Exactly. Yeah. But that's why you're out in California experiencing something different. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's really cool and important. So you were mentioning needing to be near kind of other Native people and, mm-hmm. and being far from home is, you know, not super um, common, mm-hmm. um, but now you're here in L.A., mm-hmm. so... What what's kind of brought you out here, and I, how are you staying connected? I
1: think that I was able, I don't want to say to shed those identities, because I still, you know, I'm very much, like, in my nativeness. Yeah. But um, mm-hmm. I think I was able to shed a lot of those narratives that I think keep Native people in one place. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like the crab bucket analogy of, like, there's there's a lot of lateral oppression that goes on in nation in native nations and things and if one person succeeds it's like no like bring them down Mm -hmm. at least that's been my own experience and um the experiences of some others who i've talked to and things but um i think i've been able to unlearn that restricting narrative of having to be close and in if you're if you're off doing other things and, you know, you're not on creator's path and that you're not listening to your mission and you're not, you know, doing all these things. And I think I was able to, um, like with that own identity crisis, right? When, when yeah. every college athlete leaves their team and leaves their sport, um, I think I gained that, and I and now those identities are able to coexist with each other, which is why I was able to move and be fine yeah. and, like, be self-sustaining. And as long as you, like, know who you are and know where you come from and know your language and practicing your ceremonies and doing things that are keeping you close to your spiritual side and things, like, then you're able to kind of take that with you wherever you go. And it doesn't have to be always a physical um, relationship all the time. So I think that is why I was able to successfully leave and I was feeling stagnant in Syracuse I mean I grew up there went to school there got a master's there I was just feeling like that I've outgrown it a little and so um I was definitely hungry for a new place and like to be able to bring that all that I've known and all my experiences to somewhere else and um and then I landed here
0: yeah in (laughs) beautiful sunny Los Angeles yeah
1: not hard (laughs) not hard to stay here
0: (laughs) No, it's, it's definitely a good place to be. Um, so when you're coaching and you're, you know, talking to young girls about all of this, do you share these that part of your story? Or um, how do you...
1: Sometimes I do. I also yeah. don't want it to only be – I don't want mine to be the narrative because I know it's, it's not like anyone else's. Yeah. And so it's a good story to hear, but not a lot of people can connect with it. A lot of people like hearing it, but, yeah. like, not – many people can really relate to and connect with it so um I don't really try to make it you know the theme of the teams I coach and things because it's it is foreign to a lot of people and it's and it's mine so it it is going to you know be different and I don't really like to force it upon people to also create this chip on their shoulder from Mm -hmm. you know how they were done wrong in the past and everything and like even though that was kind of my um trajectory a little bit like. I don't yeah. need that to be other people's.
0: No, I that I think that's important. Um, so, the sport's changed a lot. There's mm-hmm. been a lot of good things happening. Um, what do you kind of want to see for women's lacrosse in, in the next few years? Mm. And mm. if possible, would anything change on the Native side?
1: Um, I think that is where my answer mm. probably lives. So... <laughs> It's, it's, a, it's a really exciting time to, to play women's lacrosse yeah. and to be a college-aged female in this age of where lacrosse it's, is. It's yeah. so fun. It's so much fun to play and to watch, and we don't need to really... Um, do as much work like convincing people and persuading people to come to our games now like it used to like take work to like please come to our games but now it's more of a fun sport to watch and to play and um it's more spectator friendly I think and things so I'm so happy with like the very much needed and like appropriate changes to make it faster and um more aggressive and like scoring more goals and just like opportunity to be more creative and things Mm -hmm. like that I love that I think that's great for the sport um in terms of the native side of sports, um, definitely would like to see more native youth pursuing college, and I was which is a trend I think is happening. Um, women, like obviously girls playing lacrosse, that's kind of like my mission mm-hmm. to um, promote girls in sports. Um, not not only native people, but just girls. I think in general need um, a bigger push for that, and. Um, But particularly, yeah, for Native people, I think. And I think that Native people, I would like to see more unified in the lateral oppression, particularly in lacrosse. Like, I think that of all the things, of all of the things that Native people have to overcome in the U.S., especially during this climate of social change that's happening and that we're undergoing, I think that to be able to to pick lacrosse to be fighting about like that really like yeah. that is that's, that's the fight you're yeah. gonna fight is against is laterally playing for women playing lacrosse like yeah. we have a lot of bigger issues, <laughs> issues to address, than, than women playing lacrosse right like a part of me is just like it is 2018 like women need some empowering voices in the native culture I think yeah. and I hope to see that um, evolve at least while still being able to sure up- uphold you know traditions that are important and pillars of our culture that are important and, you know, not necessarily to, to break those, but, but be able to coexist, right? To be able to coexist in, an, in a time where women can, you know, pick up a lacrosse yeah, and, you know, have this empowering experience with other Native and, like, with other Native people and other Native women. And I think that is ultimately going to make our nations much stronger and being able to be more unified against... Um, some external forces that are trying to keep us you know the 1492 Indian
0: yeah wow yeah that's awesome and
1: so I think that I'd I'd really like to see particularly um so for the world cup right so we have Iroquois nationals are the men's and they're completely like celebrities a little mm-hmm. bit within but then you know the girls side within and looks, outside it's like globo gym and average shows <laughs> like it is a harsh and just like ugly yeah. mess so we're not even able to operate under the same name so Iroquois nationals is the boys but for girls we've had to say team Haudenosaunee which I think now has turned into Haudenosaunee nationals but like team USA team USA girls guys same name yeah Team England. Team England. Girls, guys. Same name, right? So I think to be able to be called the same name will help us as a nation Mm -hmm. to be able to put up this better, not even a front, because it'd be genuine, like to put up a better representation of us as a people that our girls and guys teams use the same name when we're going to compete at a world stage and not have people be like, well, why are you called this? And why are you called this? Like there's evident holes there and an evident disconnect between the men and women of the same culture who can't just use the same name and receive the same types of benefits, right so then you get into that into lateral oppression into the dynamics of um being more oppressed in kind of like that self-inflictedness that, and i just i wish i have hopes that that will um that that will evolve and grow and that we can hopefully just all one day be Iroquois nationals as a team, mm-hmm. as a nation, like, use our Haudenosaunee passports to places that we go and, like, yes, accomplish the things that we as a people and we as a nation want to, but in doing so, like, there's a lot of work to do within, um, internally, I think, Yeah. to be able to make that possible, start yeah. not starting with, but, like, one of them about, like, being able to something that's yeah
0: it so, seems so simple seems so simple but right obviously there's a lot more tied to definitely it, a lot
1: right? more and there's a lot of people um in council in our grand council right so um like chiefs and clan mothers and people with titles who feel very strongly about that so it seem it does seem like we're 100 years old it does yeah. seem like and in those ways it does seem that we too are like 100 years in the past just like trying to fight for women to be able to freaking play lacrosse we're not asking you to play the medicine game we're not going to pick up wooden lacrosse sticks right like those like coexisting right like those things will be honored of course like yes i'm a native woman but like i would never and i play lacrosse but like i'm not going to touch a wooden, a wooden lacrosse stick like i'm not going to try to be a guy in those senses right like i'm just trying to play lacrosse over here
0: yeah <laughs> I wonder, too, just as generations age and new generations come up, that mm-hmm. there will be waves of change related I think, to
1: that. I think so, and a really big part of that, too, is um, the more educated people become, too. I think the more um, Native people who go to college and who go into high, even higher programs of learning, I think, masters and PhDs, I think, um, could do a lot of good yeah. for... Um, Native people as a nation and as a people across the board from Iroquois to, you know, Yavasupai in Arizona Mm -hmm. to, like, Navajo people and everything. That's um, awesome. Yeah, across the board, I think it would do us some good. And it would also, like, like, the decolonization process is also a a really big mission um, in Native people to be a self-sustaining people. Um, and And ironically, that happens through becoming more educated, right? So, like, there's this roundabout way that seems kind of backwards that you have to go through the colonized way right. to, become, to become to become uncolonized, yeah. right? But it, it's a weird dynamic. It's a weird um, what's that called? Like irony of, of a way to do things. But in order to undo the system, you have to be part of the system, right? So yeah. um, taking that project on is definitely a long one, and like you know, people have their lifelong works um, devoted to that. And but it, it is positive. I mean, the more people that are educated um make better more sustaining changes that will that will evolve and that will help mm-hmm. generations evolve um in things and to know what to you know keep and what to what to change evolve from yeah in yeah, things so it's it's interesting and the colonization process right so there's this one theory my cousin mm-hmm. he has a um he's a phd candidate uh right now and he's writing his dissertation and he we he and I talk a lot about um, women's across and he grew up you know against women's across but he and I are really close so we always have like these debates and these um, like healthy conversations right like not fighting mm-hmm. like it's it's nice to be able to have that conversation with with another educated person who is able to like disagree hear, hear you. disagree yeah, and listen. like and work through that conversation and so it's definitely refreshing but um, he brought he brought up something good and I he told me this i mean years ago but like that I always remember and that I always um kind of bring up when this when this conversation comes up but um like the colonization process you know like we're so far from what our ancestors really thought and what they were really going through during that time right and so like native people it was genocide right i mean just like Nazi genocide just like you know Jewish gypsies all of that thing like native um slave trade all of that like it was an act of genocide and so not being able to be connected to your ancestors is definitely what is driving that kind of fear and resistance to be able to evolve and right and rightfully so right um but it doesn't sound like us as a people who characterize who self-characterize as peaceful and at balance Mm -hmm. and this way of life that is supposed to be so harmonious and then we're fighting in you know 2018 about these things right like our problems are colonized problems alcoholism is a colonized problem drug abuse um, child abuse like these all these problems right are colonized problems right so in terms of the lacrosse argument Like, doesn't really sound like our raw interpretation of what Sagodiso was giving us when he gave us the cross to not let women play, right? Like, that doesn't really sound like a Native interpretation. That sounds like a colonized interpretation, right? So, like, um, Christian and Catholic people colonize Native people. Mm -hmm. So, that sounds like a misinterpretation from like that lens versus a raw native lens of like he wouldn't do that like he wouldn't say that in his instructions he wouldn't do this so then it's becomes um it becomes a process of trying to uncover what is colonized and what is genuinely so um, that is definitely a hard a hard challenge to overcome when your people were genocided yeah if that's a verb but
0: (laughs) wow this is a lot of heavy stuff
1: yeah it's it's a lot to um kind of think critically about right and that and that's just one theory I mean that's just one thing that he and I have talked about a lot about like you know it doesn't really sound like our way and our people to be able to totally cut off women from doing this right like it doesn't really makes sense if you look at the culture as a whole and the raw culture right like not the colonized version but like us as a people it doesn't really sound like it should be this way and yet it is this way but is it colonized or is right so like navigating mm-hmm. that and like we don't have the answers I mean that's just one interpretation of one of one part of it but um I that always that always stuck with me because the rest of our culture I mean what we learn in Longhouse is to be is to be harmonious and is to be um You know coexisting and to be part of the natural world and all of these like you know flowing things and everything like the easy way right like yeah that seems like a random hard one
0: that yeah that's really interesting there it's important to have people like you thinking in these ways and Mm -hmm. hopefully can enact that change (laughs) yeah um you know in the years ahead yeah and as uh, your career evolves and everything Mm -hmm. um the last thing I want to ask you about is you have an IMDb credit. <laughs> You're an actress. No. <laughs> it was no. one time. <laughs> I actually don't think I've seen the movie. That's okay. Unless uh, I saw it years ago. Our
1: friendship will be different if you
0: say this <laughs> She's <laughs> sassy. Is she? Yeah, um, I, I don't
1: play a lacrosse player at all.
0: So this is the movie Crooked Arrows. Crooked Arrows, yeah. Um, what year was it? came out in 2012. May 2012. Okay. And did
1: they shoot it at? what? They shot it in uh, Danvers, just north of Boston, Massachusetts.
0: Okay. And they wanted Native people.
1: They wanted around Native people, yeah. So the casting people, um, Boston casting and sports studio casting came to our res. Um, They were going to make this movie about lacrosse. like The first um, full-length feature film about lacrosse with a plot and everything. And so... It came to our res. It was this huge deal. I was coaching lacrosse camp at the time. I, I was the summer before my junior year. Yeah, yeah, summer before my junior year after 2011 season. And um, I was coaching lacrosse camp <laughs> um, up at Cuse and heard that um, the people were in town and that they were searching, seeking for raw native people right not the Taylor Lawner native people real native people uh and so he's not native um think he I don't know I don't think so a question for the writers <laughs> I mean, do want to watch Twilight now <laughs> oh my god um he was in it too though Gil Birmingham was in it yeah. the dad who is native and who and who um does yeah. things for you know was native, it um, an
0: accurate
1: depiction things. of things? Um, was it cheesy? It was super cheesy, but <laughs> a- accurate nonetheless. I mean, yeah, we used yeah. Uh, the the nation referred to was Seneca, which isn't a real nation, but so we a used mixture we, of all. Yeah, we spoke words. Onondaga in oh, cool. in the movie because that's the language that we all knew. So yeah, so Sports Studio Casting came to Onondaga and um, in search of real native people and native lacrosse players so they didn't want to train people how to play lacrosse they wanted mm-hmm. people i i didn't want to go i was not interested at all in, yeah. in being in a movie and um had no interest really i was content with coaching camp and doing my thing and um, my brothers were really excited though both my brothers were super like chenna you have to come down here. and i was i was like no i'm not going and so i didn't go and then the very last day um I got out of camp and I was actually headed out to Buffalo for a concert and my brothers like locked me in the car and drove me down to our nation, uh, to try out or to audition or whatever for this thing. And so I had to like play lacrosse, which was the funnest part. I just, I just had to play catch essentially and just like take a couple shots to prove that I was a legit player. And, um, then I had to read some lines and I was dressed up because I was going to a concert so um that was funny and then I didn't realize I didn't know what part I was (laughs) right like auditioning for I just was like reading the line but I was annoyed that I was there and I was like being sassy because I was pissed at my brothers for dragging me down there and ruining my plans and so I was like reading off the thing and being like sassy and like huffy puffing and being like, Okay, are we done? And little did I know the part <laughs> that they were trying to cast was like the sassy, uninterested cheerleader. Oh wow. And so lo and behold, <laughs> me sick. trying not to get the part Yeah. <laughs> landed me the part. Well that's awesome. And so um mm-hmm. it was kind of funny to that was an ironic way to have been in a movie. Um, without trying to, and by actively trying to get cut, uh, actually resulted in the opposite. Which
0: is funny because, like, out here, people would kill for that. Opportunity. Right, and the, and there was a, like I not want that. There was a <laughs> lot of
1: girls too who were extras, right? For like the people who were my cheerleader posse um, people, like the other cheerleaders, who were really trying to, who had auditioned for my part, and who were really wanting it, and I was like goofing around. And they were like, you need to take this seriously. And I was like, I actually don't care about this. (laughs) But, and they, you know, were really trying to like be like seen on camera and like, you know, of of course we're trying to like, um, you know, pave their own careers and everything. And I, I did what I could to connect them to the people who I, who I knew and, um, who I had access to as a, um, as a speaking part and who they didn't have access to as a, um, extra, but, um, definitely cool. I had a really nice surprise once we were on set. Um, my best friend, Brittany, who is, um, like a model and was into all of that more than me. Um, she surprised me on set one day with, and I, she didn't tell, I didn't tell her that I was casted and she didn't tell me that she was coming down to be an extra. So we got to do the movie together, which is probably the biggest highlight of everything. So you can find her, uh, next to
0: me. Fun fact. Fun.
1: Yeah. It was cool.
0: That's awesome. All yeah. right. We got to wrap this up. We've, we've gone. We've gone over time. Really? <laughs> We've gone an hour. Oh, good. That's good. Solid. Um, thank you, Trenna. This was awesome. Yeah. I thank you for being so candid. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. this is definitely a story that needs to be shared and a voice that needs to be heard um, and that is unexpected. Mm-hmm. Um, so, thank Def- you. Definitely haven't heard one like it. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Um, so, Thank you.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Chief Wana Hakaluhi.
1: Chief Wana, <laughs> Wana Alright, we got to
0: back to our lazy Sunday. <laughs> Alright, well I hope you enjoyed this episode with Trena and the very candid and open conversation that we were able to have. I so appreciate her, you know, sharing her story and being super honest about everything that she experienced. I think it's really important because you know, it's easy to sugarcoat things. It's easy to be kind of, you know, see the bright side of things, but it's really important that we share some of the tough stuff too, because we've all gone through tough things. We've all experienced losses. We've all experienced adversity and, you know, her lens and her perspective is different um, and unique to her and having the ability to share that with others and those that she's coached and Um, played with, I think just helps us all understand each other a little bit better. So diving into a little bit of a fact check here. um, First of all, Trena talks about her experience at Syracuse and uh, playing for Gary Gate. So I just wanted to give a brief kind of rundown of that program. Women's lacrosse in Syracuse uh, started in 1998. And Lisa Miller was the head coach that entire time until Gary Gate took over in 2007. So when Gary Gate came on board, and if you don't know who he is, um, he is a legend of the men's game. He played at Syracuse as well. He has just had a long-standing career in lacrosse. He's probably one of the best known names in lacrosse. Like Chenna mentioned, he was a bit of a local celebrity as well. He played at Syracuse, winning three national championships. He went on to have a career with the NLL and the MLL. And then he started coaching. And he started coaching, you know, other NLL teams. And then he went on to be an assistant coach at the University of Maryland uh, for nine seasons. So he definitely got a schooling on women's lacrosse during that time um and then he went on to take the syracuse program from lisa miller who was there since the inception of the program in 1998. Lisa Miller really built that program over the 10 years that she was there, and now she has been at Harvard ever since. Um, but when Gary Gate came in, and like Trina mentions, you know, was brought in new recruiting classes and was able to really take advantage of what had been built um, in a way to make it grow and lead Syracuse to being a top 10 school, a top four school. Mm-hmm. And something I didn't even realize is that Syracuse doesn't have a national title. They have been the runner-up for two years in 2012 and 2014. They have appeared in a lot of Final Fours, and um, seven Final Fours since Gary Gate took over the program. And they've always been such competitors and kind of that perennial program that you would want to be a part of. I think with Syracuse Orange on the men's side having such a reputation, them being so close to Onondaga Reservation, and kind of the stories and legends of the Carrier Dome, and and growing up and cheering for the Orange, um, I think that makes a lot of sense that Trenna would aspire to go there and be a part of that growing program. So I appreciate her candidness about her experience there, and... I think that, you know, there's a lot to be learned from everyone that has been a part of a program, um, especially a program that was on the rise and, and seeking a lot of success during that time. Aside from the lacrosse uh, experience that Trenna has, she also talks a lot about the cultural identity and cultural idealisms that she has learned and become accustomed to being Native American. One thing that she talks a lot about and mentions in here is talking about lateral oppression, which lateral oppression is kind of displaced oppression towards peers instead of adversaries. So that means kind of the oppression that Native Americans experience within their own culture, which is something that Trina has absolutely experienced. Um, And it's often a result of being colonized because, you know, you've had these people come in and recreate your society and now things and problems are coming up and so there's going to be a lot of uh, issues between people. That is a very basic way of saying it in my understanding but I think it's an important under- uh, important thing to note because this is an experience that many people have in their lives. This is an issue within Native American culture across across the country, um, and being able to kind of take a step back and understand what other cultures and people are going through is important, and um, an important way for us to kind of understand others' experiences. And I love how Trina talks about the reason for her going for her master's in higher education is to be someone who is Native American, who has had a lot of education and understanding so that she can then help other Native American communities and people to have access to education and take pride in who they are and take the steps that they need to make in order to be the best for themselves, um, whether that's within living on the reservation or going out and experiencing something completely different. I think, as she mentions, you know, going far from home, taking that risk and now living in California, there is a lot of disconnect from the culture that she grew up in. And that can be really hard and isolating because there probably aren't a lot of people like you and are surrounding you like you're used to. So I think the more that we can understand that experience with each other and, and the people that we're surrounding with, I think is really important. And the last little fun item that we talk about is Trena's film debut in the critically acclaimed movie, Crooked Arrows, which was released in 2012. I can confirm Taylor Lautner, who is not in this movie, but came up in this episode, he is about as Native American as I am, which is like one sixteenth Chippewa. I think that maybe he tried out for a part and that's why his name came up. But I love that Trina has an IMDb credit and that she kind of happenstance allowed her to get this role. I have yet to watch this movie. It is available on Amazon Prime Video for a whopping $2.99 if you would like to cough up that money and watch it for yourself. All right, that's all I got. Thank you so much for tuning in to part two with Trenna. Like I said, if you haven't had a chance to check out our earlier episodes, we have some great content. If you are loving it and you've already listened to all five episodes so far, let me know. I need to know so I know who I'm talking to. I can't wait to release more. We have a lot coming up and I'm so excited. So follow us at LaxAllStars, comment, post, check out LaxAllStars.com, let me know what you think, tweet me at CM Brunel, and finally, shout out to my friend Benny Sauls for the new dope music. See you later.